This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Welcome to Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein and with me today we have David Tabret, Dr. David Tabret, our pet vet. And what topic will you have for us today, David? Hi, Jane. I uh, thought we'd talk about ways that you can check on your pet at home, regular checkups at home. Just to make sure they mm. keep healthy and wealthy. And Danny Boss, hello. Hi, Jane. And today we're talking with... Well, continuing on with our, our volunteers... Our organisations, we're going to be talking with the Native Animal Trust Fund. And that's uh, all about wildlife rescue. That's right. That coming up, and of course, your calls are welcome. We'll be taking them from half past 12 to NURFM 103.7, starting off to NURFM's pet chat this afternoon. And Danny Boss, we're going to be talking first... Yeah, last week, if you recall, we talked to Alicia from Hunter Animal Rescue, and that's a great volunteer organisation. So I thought this week, let's talk to Andrew Hoosman, who's the president of the Native Animal Trust Fund Wildlife Rescue Service. That's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> and we'll talk about um, what the service does and, and what in terms of volunteers they might need. Thank you for joining us, Audrey. Oh, hello, Danny. Thank Hi. you for having me. Look, what does the rescue service do? Look, the Native Animal Trust Fund Wildlife Rescue Service is licensed by the Department of uh, DC, uh, which is uh, Department of um, Conservation and Climate Change, and uh, we uh, rescue and care for and rehabilitate all species of native fauna in the Hunter region and the southern end of the Great Lakes area. Okay. Now, in terms of rescuing the, the native animals, what what sort of animals does the service look after? Oh, look, we look after everything, anything from the tiniest little lizard to the, the biggest grey kangaroo to koalas to echidnas, bandicoots, possums, wombat, everything, everything you can name, we look after. Uh, venomous snakes, uh, frogs, <laughs> the whole lot. <laughs> I was quite amazed to, to read the statistics in terms of uh, mm. the amount of animals you care. For example, 437 animals since April this year have been yep. cared for. One hundred, <clears throat> pardon. One hundred ninety-nine died or had to be euthanized, but there was one hundred ninety that were released back into the wild, and forty-eight still remain in care. And the amount of calls your organisation takes is like November last year peaked at one thousand five hundred eighty-four just for one month. That's a lot of calls. That is a lot of calls. So there's a, a we do a huge amount of work out there, and as you know, we're just a community group and we're all volunteers. Well, let's talk about that fact, volunteering. If someone wanted to volunteer to help in the organisation, what's involved? Look, what's involved is you need to join the group first by, you know, lodging a membership with us. Yes. Um, that membership uh, application gives you an idea. You can tick the boxes of what you'd like to be involved in. Mm -hmm. Just for example, if you want to be a rescuer and a carer, um, you come along to our two-day workshop, which we hold, uh, which we're holding in uh, early in uh, August, and uh, from that workshop, you then can pick out what is suitable for you to do. So people get a bit of a feel and understanding, Danny, of what the group's all about. They can actually go to our website, which I think you've got the uh, yes, we do have it. It's, it's www.hunterwildlife.org.au, and we'll keep that on file for anyone who might want to call and get that. Yes, yeah. and there's a membership form on there. If they go through, they can also have a look at what we do. So it gives them a bit of an insight on 
you know, we're not keepers. We're only we're only rehabilitators, and we're just carers. And then we return them to the wild. So that's very important for members of the public to understand. It's also the dedication. It's a twenty four seven job. You know, you you can't just get a baby possum and go away for the weekend or go out to the movies. You've got to be home to feed it every two or three hours. And you know, it's a, a lot of dedication, a lot of time, a lot of expense too, Danny. Yeah, well, that is, that's quite involved if you are looking at caring. As you say, as a baby possum, it could be a baby kangaroo. What if there's volunteers out there who might not have that kind of time to do that but still would like to help out in other ways? Is there anything else available they can help with? Oh, look, Danny, there's heaps of jobs we can task, we can put onto them. You know, the phone operator, you know, our, our, our rescue phone is manned by volunteers and and they, people called in with injured animals, sick animals, or wanting to know information, they can do that. And they can do that from their own home, just sit there and answer it. The cost comes back to us, not to them. Yes. They can grow uh, mealworms. They can make pouches. They can go out on our fundraising stalls. They can join our education team. There's a ream of things that we can, we can always find a job for someone, Danny, believe me. Yeah, well, that sounds fantastic to be a part of, of the group. And you don't have to necessarily, as you say, work hard in terms of 24-7 care. There's a lot of other things that you could do. Well, thank, right. thank you very much for your time. And anyone who is interested in pursuing a course of volunteering and helping out the, the Wildlife Rescue Service, please go onto their website, hunterwildlife.org.au. Thank you for your time, Audrey. Oh, thank you very much. Great pleasure. Anytime. Bye-bye, Danny. Bye. Bye. Audrey Kurzman from the Native Animal Trust Fund, and you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. Dr. David Tabret, back hi, to your Jane. topic right at the moment. Yeah, I just I didn't get a chance to say hi to Audrey, but, gee, they do a great job. I've, we've interviewed Audrey before, and uh, I've been involved with working with the Trust Fund for oh, probably the full 20 years I've been in the Hunter, so good on them. So you've needed to look after some of the animals that have had problems? Well, they've brought in animals. Uh, we often get uh, wildlife that's brought to us that's injured, either by members of the public, and then we can pass it on to the wildlife carers, or the um, the wildlife carers themselves in the fund have brought them to us for assessment. In any in any of the roles that I've been in over the last 20 years, we've played that um, Mm. you know, that function. And sometimes, you know, we have to do surgery on animals or they require medication or bandaging, wound care. Oftentimes when bushfires go through, that's that's one of the biggest demands is when bushfires go through, there's a real surge of animals that come into care and, of course, breeding season. So spring's always busy time. And I think Danny mentioned the statistics for November, which is on the tail of spring, yeah. So when when there are bushfires, what sort of animals get affected by that? Every animal, every animal, because their habitat's being destroyed and so they get pushed out ahead of the fire. And if it's a very uh, vicious fire, a very aggressive fire, then unfortunately a lot of animals can't escape and they perish in the fire. Um, if it's a slower burning fire, then they tend to move ahead of it. And so they, but what happens is then they come out onto roads and things like that or into people's yards. And um, so people are good to uh, make themselves aware of the phone numbers for the um the fund and have a look at the website and get uh, awareness of their details. There are signs up, I know, in Port Stephens about koala rescue as well because of the habitats there that are under threat um, when fires and so on come through. So I think it's wonderful that our society has so many people willing to give up their time to do a lot of this volunteer they, work. They or, need more. They they ne- they I know need because more. there's That's a right. lot of burden falls onto few shoulders mm. and um, my personal experience is that these guys who 
I know a lot of them have been in the organisation for a long time and do it very selflessly and without a lot of thanks. And um, I certainly appreciate when we do get wildlife that we've got this group that we can call on. Mm. So good on them. To help get them back to their, their former selves. Yes, and, and a lot of those wildlife carrots are pet owners themselves, as are a lot of our listeners, of course. And we've always talked about uh, conditions that might require visits to the vet and things like that. But what about ways that you can check on your animal at home? And it's a good idea. You know, you should probably check yourself over as well. Make sure there's no lumps and bumps and surprises. You should do the same for your pet. So there's different ways of doing it. But one of the easy ways is to basically start at one end and go to the other. And since we like to start at the nice end, we'll start at the nose first. And it's a good idea for everyone to probably just get familiar with the, the the normals for your pet, I think, so that if something abnormal crops up, you'll be aware of it. And then, you know, to call the vet. So start at the nose and you can look that there's clear airflow. Sometimes it's a bit hard to tell if your pet's very rested and calm. You think, oh, gee, there's not much air coming out of there. One of the ways is hold a little... A mirror or a piece of glass in front of their nose, make sure there's equal airflow out of both sides, or even a little tissue or some cotton wool, and then you'll be able to say, yes, the airflow is normal out of the left and the right nose. Look for discharge, signs of swelling, uh, redness, and importantly, and we've talked about dental disease before, lift the lip and have a look. If you see a red line along the gum, that indicates pain and gingivitis. That's a gum disease that's caused by bacteria. And that might be something that you need to get addressed. So have a look and look for, you know, bad smells and um, any food that's caught or material that's caught. Sometimes if there's cracked teeth or chipped teeth, that can be a problem as well. If there's missing or loose teeth or brown stain or tartar on the teeth would indicate dental disease. Check the eyes. Look for symmetry and any sign of discharge, no lumps and bumps. When you say symmetry, you mean that both of them yeah, the are shape, doing the same kind the shape? The of shape them? of the eyelids mm-hmm. because sometimes you'll get uh, animals that get nerve damage or they might have slightly rolled in eyes or rolled out eyes and that predisposes them. That's called entropion or ectropion. That predisposes them to eye problems. As we know, animals often get cataracts when they get older from various causes, but they also get a condition called nucleosclerosis, which is where the lens of the eye starts to go a little bit cloudy. Um, It's not a cataract. It's a normal age-related change. Sometimes you need to see your vet to get the differentiation between nucleosclerosis and cataract. But a cataract looks... uh, It's often got lines through the the lens itself, and the lens sits behind the coloured part of the eye. Normally we can't see it. Okay, there's just that black space. And then check the ears as well for any discharge pain. Massage down on the ear canal and smell, that's the other thing. Palpate down the throat and you might feel some glands under the neck. There should be a normal size, equal on both sides. And you can compare them to other glands like in front of the shoulder or under the arms or in the groin or behind the knees. That's where their glands are on a dog. So are dogs and are cats in the same position? Are oh, we yeah. talking about dogs at the moment? They have glands <laughs> That's right. in yep. similar positions. So this yep. so far applies to both dogs and cats? That's right, except by this stage the cat's uh, probably <laughs> given up on you and left the room. So we're more likely to be doing it with the dog. Well, the way I tend to do it with cats is you might want to stage it 
So you do, okay, I'll check him out today or do it when they're calm. Don't do it when they're, you know, running around or they're eating or something like that. You want to do it when they're just sitting on the lounge. And as you're patting them with one hand, then you can feel over things with the other. Feel the chest and it moves equally. The ribs, no lumps and bumps there and it, the ribs are moving. And you can even feel the abdomen. And you're just feeling that things should be soft and, and they're not reacting to you pushing on parts of the abdomen. So there's no pain there. There's no swelling. Um, you might feel some swelling. doesn't mean there's an abnormality. It might just be you're feeling, oh, that's the kidney. Um, it's supposed to be there. But, uh, you know, you can just get to know what's normal for your pet. And, of course, fe- checking their feet in between their toes, that's a real big problem area. Sometimes they get little cysts or cuts or infections in their feet. Um, we often see um, grass seeds in particular breeds that are running around outside. Um, so check over all their legs, palpate and flex the joints when just to make sure everything's too, okay. I, I think it's important to check the nails and make sure they're not overly mm-hmm. long too. Yep. Because they do need uh, clipping on a regular basis, don't need, they? Need a regular, mm. need a regular nail clip. As, uh, and the other regular things that we need to be aware of, of course, is worming. should be done, say, every three months and you can get a test done at your vet to make sure that you're on top of that. I have, must admit, I have seen a couple of animals recently that have come in that have got tapeworm. And uh, the most common tapeworm we see is spread by fleas. So fleas and tapeworm often go together. And to get control of that worm situation, you need to make sure your flea control is good as well. And we've talked about that. That's a year-round problem. Okay, yes. It's not just a summer problem. It's a year-round problem. Multiple households are a worry for flea control um, as well. Heartworm, multiple households. Oh, multiple sorry, multiple pet. Yes, households. multiple pet households. <laughs> And the thing is, because in winter we don't see the fleas as much, we think it's yeah. fine and we only need to treat it in the summer. But in actual fact, during the winter is when they're laying so many eggs that you actually can get... Well, they actually hibernate. Hibernate. They That's hibernate. Right. So they've laid the eggs over summer, but the eggs just sit there. Yes. And they sit in the carpet and in the bedding and in the yard... And they just sit there and sit there and sit there. And when there. the right temperature and humidity yep. comes, which will be around September, yep, that's right. Then all these thousands and thousands of eggs. Just that's hatch. right. And the numbers they can lay incredible. Uh, of adult female flea can lay fifty eggs a day, yes. like for two months, for a month, two months. So they see, they just and there's thousands of them. The tip of the iceberg. Oh, there's so many out there. So you've got to be on top of that problem right from the get go. Um, and working your way down, you can palpate and all the way to the end of the tail. And check under the tail as well. You've got to have a look at the back end. Sorry, folks. You've got to have a look at the back end. Sometimes they get little uh, abscesses under there on either side of their anus, the back end there. And you've got to make sure that they're not swollen and red and sore. And that necessitates a trip to the vet, unless you're really keen on putting on a glove. And <laughs> oh, the, the vets have to have something to do, I'm sure. That's right. Five years of university training. We're well qualified for that. (laughs) Well done. We'll remember that. (laughs) So checking your pets. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. It's half past 12. We're very happy to take your calls if you've got a question you'd like to put to 2NURFM's pet vet, David Tabret, today. And we will also be coming back with more on nutrition and pet news uh, later in the program. And you're listening to Pet Chat. It's 26 to 1, and the number to get your question through to our pet vet, Dr. David Tabret, today is 49216216. And Sue has done that from Aberdeer. Hello, Sue. Hello, good afternoon. Hi, Sue. 
Look, um, we've got a little rescue dog here. We've had her for a while now, and uh, she's an only child, and she's quite happy with that. But we go to visit friends the other side of Tamworth, and they have a positive um, pack of dogs. And what I'm curious about is that it's a good three-and-a-half-hour drive. Mm -hmm. The moment we turn into their driveway, she will jump from the back to the front of the car, and she will squeal... <laughs> jump around the vehicle and carry on. She seems to know she's there. He's a happy dog. Oh, it's happy. Very yeah, happy yeah. dog. Yeah. I, dogs are really, uh, you know, quite good at tracking. They recognise um, landmarks. She'd recognise yeah. the um, the gate. And uh, I'm not surprised that she shows that behaviour. I think that um, she obviously knows that she's going to be in for some fun times and she's oh, happy yeah. to be there. She loves it there, you know. Um, yeah. And, 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 I mean, there's dogs and there's D6 ones and there's entires and there's pictures uh-huh. and there's all sorts of things. They're everything from a Scottish deer hound to a foxy. Oh, crikey. Oh, crikey. And yeah. she just knows she's there. Oh, and not she surprised. Stands, she stands at the window in the car and watches, and I'm astounded at this behaviour. No, they're very smart. So very my smart. dogs, my dogs are the same when I take them to to the show showgrounds yeah. to show the dogs. And we're in like a, a cargo van though, and there's not much windows that they can see. But they seem to just even as you, as you drive close yeah. to the car park, they know they know they're there, and they get so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're driving for three and a half hours, and she's quite calm. But as soon as you're about to arrive. Into the gate, we make a right hand turn into yeah. the gate, and she squeal like she's squealing, she's squeaking, and she's racing around the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite cute behaviour, and she's really happy to be there. And she actually, she's very timid of humans, but she's quite okay with the humans there as well. Sounds like she knows when she's onto a good thing, Sue. So. Sounds like it. Yeah, okay. good on you. Thanks. Thank you. What a lovely Thanks, story. <laughs> Sue from Aberdeer, 49216216, if you would like to uh, get uh, your question to David Tabret. But in the meantime, Danny, you've got some pet news for us? Or, or how about nutrition? Let's talk about nutrition. Okay. Look, we sometimes get people um, talking to us about, and, and we're getting calls like, oh, my dog's eating its feces, or mm. um, there's those kind of issues, or my dog's coat isn't looking that good, what do I do? A lot of those kind of things is about the correct nutrition that you need to make sure your dog is getting, the, the, the correct vitamins and minerals. Like for humans, for example, we're being told, told about these days, you know, five veggies, two fruits a day, because it's the correct nutrition nutrition that we need to take take in dogs are no different you know are we feeding dogs our pets a fast food diet or are we feeding them something that's very nutritional and some of those things you need to look at are in terms of the food you can buy it at the supermarkets or your pet specialty stores go for the super premium foods that are available because they're going to have the nutritional supplements and com- complete diet that your pet needs, whether it's a cat or a, or a dog. Now, even with birds, we can go beyond just feeding them the seeds. There are there are super premium foods for birds don't, as well. Don't get me started on <laughs> seed diets for birds. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you've got I've, a bit to add too, haven't you, David? Well, look, the cat, the dog thing, yeah, exactly. And I've spoken to people before and about uh, making up diets, which is um, very encouraging for people to take that degree of interest. I just find it really hard 
to get a proper balanced diet when you're doing it yourself. Yes. And you've got to be careful about where you're getting your information from because if it's not been analysed, the food, by a nutritionist and measured against what dogs need, not what we think they might need, but what they actually need, uh, then you're probably not giving them the proper diet. And that doesn't mean that we're doing you know, bad things or anything. It just means we're a little bit misplaced with where our efforts need to be. It's very difficult, very difficult to balance a diet. What we've learnt is, you know how the earth is made up of 106 different types of minerals and elements and so forth? Too, Denny, you Jeez. know a bit more than me. <laughs> now, What's well, element number 103? Well, that I don't know, <laughs> that much detail. But the idea with that kind of information is that for a dog, for example, for a dog to just exist, they need 25 of those elements and minerals. Right, yep. But for a dog to have a healthy, long um, life, they need 70 six of those and this is the difference between a lower grade type of pet food and a better quality pet food and that's why even some of the slogans on some of these uh, premium pet foods say that they will make your extend the life of of your pet so very important things now there's things like well, sensitive skin formula so there's, yeah, there's, there's yeah, there are there are prescription diets i'd be mm. careful about some of the claims i think we have to measure them you know cautiously but yes. uh, certainly we know that certain diets, when people feed, can end up with problems. We've seen that. Look, we've even had the instances of contaminants in food. So we do have to be careful about what we feed our pets. But uh, I would agree that generally um, the premium foods provide a better quality in terms of the balance and the nutrition. You know what the biggest factor I find is? There's less ends up on the lawn coming out the other end. That's very true. That's called digestibility. What goes in and what comes out... That's a digestibility factor, and that's a very simple ratio for people to look at. And some of the foods that we see, I've seen people eating, and they say, oh, well, look, I can't afford the premium food. And I say, first of all, the digestibility is so much higher, you don't have to feed them as much, and that makes a difference as well. So have a look at these foods and read the labels carefully. Um, obviously, there's information on the Internet. We know that. Yes. Um, just be cautious about what you read and where it's coming from is my advice. And there's times when people put the effort in cooking the food, as we discussed, but when you're cooking the food for your pet, they're not getting the right nutritional balanced diet. Well, I think need. they should have a good uh, quality dry kibble yep. as their base diet. Yep. Um, look, I know my dad doesn't isn't listening to the show because he lives in Queensland, but uh, he's got some dogs he loves to cook up. The house stinks, I tell you. He cooks up this stuff and it does, and he says, oh, I'm adding this, I'm adding that. And I, yeah, okay, Dad, but are they getting a good quality dry food? Yep, absolutely. And I say, okay, well, I'm happy because I know that they're getting that and you're just, you know, he's retired, he wants to do that, that's good. I'm making him sound really old. But he feels he's doing something he for is, his... That's right, that's right. But he's also looking after them. Yeah. But uh, sometimes, and he really cares for them. Sometimes we need to be careful what we do add to that food we cook. Like I hear lots of times some one mm. might add pasta to that food. Lots they of carbohydrates? Lots of carbohydrates. You know the other thing people add? With Garlic. That. Garlic, yeah. yes. And, and there have been studies in Japan that showed that... Um, certain amounts of garlic can actually cause damage to red blood cells. So it's not just a case of a little bit's good and a bit more might be better. Sometimes a bit more can be dangerous. Um, you know, there was a funny story, was, well, not funny, but um, a rabbit that someone had and they decided that rabbits eat carrot and that's all they fed their carrot. Well, was they to the rabbit. about Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. So all they did was they fed the rabbit carrot and uh, the... Um, 
the poor rabbit ended up going um, blind from toxicity from the uh, vitamins in it. Yes. And there's been too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I think we might have a call. So I think we'll. Oh no, we've lost. I'm sorry. That's all right. Might come back in a minute. (laughs) I was going to say the other thing I remember now going back to uni was someone who fed their cat liver, and that's all they fed the cat. Mm. Got vitamin A toxicity. And it caused all the bones in the neck to fuse together. So it caused, you know, sometimes these things, we've got to keep it balanced. We've talked about omega fatty acids, always a good supplement. But, of course, you wouldn't go and just feed your dog or cat straight sardines. Okay. You would have a good balance. Now, let's see who we've got on the line. I think it's John. Hello, is that John? Yes, it is. Good. Have you got a question for David? Yes, I've got a mystery problem with the Pomeranian. Um, Pomeranians are always mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> what what can we do for you, John? Our Pomeranian, when he's when he's inside, he he does a little harker near the door, which means let me out. Right. So when he goes out, you leave the door open, and then he can't work out that the door's happened to get back in. Oh, he stands on the other side of it. Yeah, he stands on the other side and barks. I've got a little terrier dog that does that. I was going to say it's just Pomeranians, but no, look, he's not alone. Um, but when, when you open the fridge, he comes bolting into the house. <laughs> what? Well, then he knows how to get in. Yeah, but the silly thing is he grabs the meat and runs back outside. <laughs> he's an outdoor dog, obviously. I, I, was, going, I was going to suggest that um, perhaps he hasn't quite worked out how doors work, but obviously he has. It just depends on what the motivator is. I think it might be because he came from a shop at Morissette. <laughs> now, John, we've got we've got lots of listeners down Morissette. Oh, and sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might be... Yeah, handicap facility. It might be... Uh, look, if he was a Dalmatian... No offence to Dalmatian breeders, but if he was a Dalmatian, I could understand it. Pomeranians, you think they're pretty clever. I think he might be doing that just to get you to get up and be at his beck and call. I think yeah. he's. I think he might be pushing you around a bit. Twisted around his little finger. Yes, yes. How do they do that? The other question is, can they swim or not? <laughs> you can actually get um, like floaties for dogs. So if you seriously, you can get little wetsuits that have got. Um, uh, it's a float- that, flotation devices yeah. in them, hmm. um, but I wouldn't recommend just throwing them into the pool. No, no, no. But if he goes to the beach, you can get little floaty wetsuits. Oh, okay. And start at the... Sh- mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get them even down for that size. Um, and then they go for a swim and you know that they're going to stay upright. Yeah. Yeah. We had a... That sounds... ...last year in the middle of July where he's gone in and my wife said, Yeah, Rottweiler's thirsty today. She looked out the door and he's the bomb going down for the fourth time. Oh, oh. crikey. Go for the wetsuit with the floaties, I think, John. Thanks for your call this afternoon. And uh, we have another John now. That John came from Raymond Terrace. This one comes from Gateshead. Hello, John. Hi, how are you? Hi, John. Um, I I rang you last week. Um, I have a Sharpay, and I was telling you about she has this Sharpay fever. Yes, yes. And, you know, her joints are all swollen and everything. And she was on Colchicine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I was reading in the paper the other day about the vets in Sydney are using um, stem cells in dog fat to, to fix pet arthritis or that. Do you think... Um, 
This is uh, stem cell therapy has been um, just started to be used over the last year. Yeah. I don't know a lot about it. Um, there are a couple of vets. I know that there were some up in Queensland that were using it. I'm not sure on the actual mechanism of it yet. Um, I'm not sure that it's, it would be helpful for that condition. I'll tell you what we'll do is I can find out some info for you and we can talk about it next week on the show. Oh, yeah. Because stem cell therapy is something that's becoming available and being used for various conditions. And it's probably, yes, it is being used for arthritis, but question is what other things you know is it heart disease or or as you say sharpe fever um is there some other th- uh, diseases that this can be used for so let me look that uh, get into that and i'll talk to some people and i think that we'll, we'll talk about that next week sounds good Thank yeah you. good question then I, i'm a bit like your father i think with my dog and the feed actually oh good on you as long as you've got a good quality dry food under there yeah, well, she has that of a morning, but yep. she likes a rump steak on the barbecue. <gasps> and oh, I'm coming over to your place. <laughs> she has rump steak, and I boil all fresh vegetables up for her and everything. Oh, you're good for her. Oh, that good sounds on great, you. John. And I can see that when David comes, you'll be on all fours. Four nine two one six two one six is the uh, number to ring, and we have another caller. Hello to you. Hello. Hello. Yes, your name is. Oh, sorry, Colleen. Colleen, okay. You've got a question for David? Yes, I certainly do. Hi, Colleen. How are you, David? Good, thanks. What can um, we do for you? David, uh, I did speak to you last week about Mum's bird, but uh, offline, you might remember. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. anyway, I'm, I'm, today I'm ringing you. You were talking about the dog's diet. Yes. And um, I, I give them a dry kibble and all that, but every night I have a Labrador and a little Jack Russell Shih Tzu cross thing, and they line up for their raw carrot. We usually just have one or maybe two carrots I chop up for them. Yep. That's not a problem every day, is it? No, um, not for that size by any means. The, uh, the shits is only fairly small. but Yeah, look, a really good source of fibre um, for them. Yeah. Very good source of fibre. I like all veggies, actually, except celery. So there's, I don't give them mushrooms. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, celery's a fibre and water, so yeah. not really. You know, it's funny, isn't it, with dogs, because they do eat vegetables, and this because they're omnivores. Uh, so whereas cats are true carnivores, oh, um, okay. yeah. dogs, dogs often eat a diet that consists of meat and cereal and vegetables. And so they're quite readily, you know, they'll take veggies, as John was just saying, he cooks them up, I know my dad does, so... You've got the carrots there and other things. Raw and carrots, yeah. And, yep. um, oh, they, they sell their soul for frozen beans, a handful of frozen beans. They love it. Can I send my uh, six-year-old son round to your place, learn how <laughs> no, to eat some veggies? doesn't work with children. Doesn't work with children. <laughs> ah. Now, well, another thing, I have, when I cook an egg for myself most mornings, yep. I, the lab is there, of course, and she loves the egg shells. It started off, I was giving them a whole egg every week. And um, then now I've, I've started just tossing the eggshell to her with some of the white in it, of course. Yeah. She crunches them up. Is one a day too many for too much for her? As long as the eggshells are clean. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, bought, they're bought shells, not from your backyard or anything. Oh, no, no, they're bought shells. Yeah, okay. Um, no problem. Oh, okay. No problem. So she can have one a day. It's not going to, yeah. Not going to, it's, to be honest, it's probably not going to do much either way. No, she just loves them. Yeah. 
And she just loves... I think labs just want to have something in their mouth, don't they? Yeah, she just loves to be with you, too. Yeah, she does. (laughs) Yeah. Suffer to the eyeballs, and she'd still be there looking as though she hasn't had a feed for months. Oh, of course, but no, that's that's fine. You can do that. Oh, lovely. Thanks All for right. your call, right. Colleen. Thanks very much, David. Thanks, Bye. Colleen. Bye bye. And on to a new RFM. You're listening to Pet Chat. You've got some pet news to tell us, Danny. Well, last week we spoke about um, the Hunter Animal Rescue Volunteer Organisation and how they rescue dogs and cats uh, from from being euthanized. There's a study that's going to be done by the University of Queensland Centre for Companion Animal Health, which will in- investigate uh, the increased rate of cats and kittens that are being put down. I thought this was quite interesting because apparently 60% of cats that, are, that go to shelters get euthanized. That's quite a lot. And over the past year, there's been an increase of 28%. So this study will investigate in terms of why this is happening and it'll go into specifics such as the demographics, the environment, why people surrender uh, their cats and kittens, is there uh, a socioeconomic impact or is there reasons um, in to do with the housing or the council areas because they make it difficult for, for owning pets? Is, is there any particular cat variety or breed that seems to be put into shelters and then euthanized more so than another type of variety or breed? So there's a lot of things to, to investigate and look at. And the study will provide then a, comprens- a comprehensive nationwide report uh, for the unwanted cat population. So I thought that's, that's quite an interesting thing. And it is nice to see that they're putting in funding to get that kind of investigation going. Yes, I'm wondering whether perhaps fewer people want would like to adopt an adult cat rather than an adult dog. Would that be the well? They'll find out, I suppose. It's, it's it? an interesting set. Look at, and it's a topic that's been looked at many times over the years. I think certainly um, the economy affects things, and also the soci- yeah the socio-economic picture that happens. Um, simple. My simple idea of it is there's a certain pool or number and so many people adopt cats and so many come in at the other end. It's like mm. a big tub and uh, there's more going in than's coming yeah. out. I know a lot of pedigree cat owners take, when they sell their kittens, they actually sell them as, as desexed these days and they're taking that into account so that those mm. uh, there's no issues of, of the lots of breeding happening in terms of those kittens and cats um, and then end up in shelters. So that's a good step. But there's a lot of other issues that need to be looked at. One more thing. Dogs in home units make financial sense. How about that topic? What uh, We've interviewed Peter Higgins from Dogs New South Wales before. Basically, what they're finding is research in Queensland suggests that a dog-friendly unit can add as much as $15,000 to the resale value of the unit. And what uh, Dogs New South Wales is encouraging is for, uh, for landlords to look at the possibility of allowing people to have their pets in these units. And, and that's a good thing because it's a positive not only for the pet owners, but a positive for the community in those units as well because pets can bring a lot of happiness. And I love his comment that he puts at the end of his article where he says, dogs don't cause damage to properties, irresponsible tenants do. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> now, have we got a time for a quick Emperor Penguin story? Father of the Year in the UK, Peter Andre, ex-Australian. We know he's going through some bad times, right? But I'll tell you who gets Father of the Year for me, Emperor Penguins. These guys, 
the mother lays the eggs and it, the egg sits on their feet and they just shuffle back and forth. It's minus 60 degrees Celsius. Did you know the internal core temperature of an emperor penguin is 40 degrees? Wow. So how do they do that? They have little uh, shunts in their legs that um, keep the warmth inside and they just keep the eggs up off the ice and they have to sit there and they lose half their body weight. Looking after their... Yeah, they wait for them to hatch while mother goes off and eats. And so then they hatch and then they finally get a chance to go and eat. And then they've got to come back and feed the young one anyway. Definitely father of the year. Father of the year. And that's a good story to finish up today's pet chat on 2NURFM. Thank you, Dr. David Tabrush. Thanks, Jane. And thank you, Danny Boss. Goodbye, Jane. We'll do it all again after the 12 o'clock news next Friday.